Hello, and welcome to Return to Regalia, an Underland Chronicles reread podcast. I'm Una. And I'm Nate. Nate, we are so back. (laughs) Yes, we are so fucking back indeed. It's October, it's book two, and we're ready. Yes. We're ready for the Prophecy of Bane. Yes, just like Gregor is not ready for the Prophecy of Bane. We are as ready for the Prophecy of Bane as Gregor is unready for (laughs) it. Yes. Should we jump right into it? Let's do it. Today we'll be covering chapters 1, 2, and 3 of The Prophecy of Bane. Chapter 1 starts with Gregor waking up in his bedroom in his family's apartment. He finds a cockroach sitting on his windowsill watching him. Gregor doesn't even have to get up to trap the roach in a jar because his room is so small. We learn that his bedroom is probably supposed to be a storage space, and there's only room for his bed and a narrow dresser. There's also no door, but he actually has more privacy than anyone in the apartment, so he doesn't complain. I was thinking about how this is true. He's the only one with his own room, even if that room really sucks. Right. Like, the no door part would really get me. Like, hang a curtain or something. Yeah. I mean, I guess guess he would have figured that out by now if he needed that, but... Yeah. It's it's rough. Yeah. Not even having a way to separate yourself from the rest of the apartment if you need to right like especially noise wise you can't like shut it out when Mm -hmm. boots is like crying yeah uh yeah that's rough maybe he's just used to it being a new yorker that's true yeah yeah (laughs) everything is like this in new york it's just always so loud yeah The narration tells us that more roaches have been invading the apartment lately to watch Gregor, and his mom always kills them if she sees them, so he's having a hard time keeping them alive like he vowed to do after Tick's death in book one. Gregor sneaks into the living room with the roach and notes that his mom has already left for her weekend job. His dad is asleep on the pull-out couch, and he's muttering in his sleep. I was... Wondering why his dad is on the couch. Yeah, I assume he'd be sleeping in their mom's room, but maybe they're, they don't really have, maybe both his parents sleep on the pull-out couch. I was, yeah, I was wondering that, like, is there only one proper bedroom in this apartment? When my dad had a studio apartment in New Jersey, he had to sleep on a pull-out couch, like there was no bedroom, so he would sleep on a pull-out couch and he would like put a wooden board under the mattress because it was so shitty that his back would hurt every morning otherwise. So yeah, maybe there is only one bedroom, and that's just how they do it. Yeah. I think also it's possible, though, that Grace and Gregor's dad are not yet, like, yeah, uh, ready to share a bed again after being apart for so long. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Or maybe, like, Gregor's dad has nightmares and doesn't want to, like, wake her up with that. Yeah, that would make sense, because I think Gregor says he does have nightmares. Yeah. The narration reminds us about Dad's two-and-a-half-year imprisonment by the rats and says he'd been starved, deprived of light, and physically abused in ways he would never discuss. He was tormented by nightmares, and at times he had trouble separating reality from illusion, even when he was awake. That's rough. Yeah. Yeah, clearly he's got some PTSD from the Underland. Yeah, I want to know, like... How did the rats physically abuse him? Would they just like beat him when he wasn't doing what they wanted? Because that seems like if they're trying to get him to invent stuff, it seems weird that they would also like hurt him. Yeah, I'm not sure that the rats 
we're thinking that far ahead though. That's yeah, that's true. They're just like, fuck this guy. Oh wait, he can make us weapons. Yeah. But it's also fun to throw things at him. Right. Yeah. I imagine it was pretty rough. Yeah. Regardless of how useful or not he was to the rats. Yeah, damn, that sucks. Yeah. Gregor's dad also hasn't been able to shake the illness he got in the Underland, so he's feverish a lot. The narration says, Gregor always thought that everything would be simple once his family was reunited. It was a thousand times better having his dad back. Gregor knew that, but it was not simple. Because we kind of talked about this at the end of book one, the way Gregor had this fantasy of how things would be when his dad got back, and this is just kind of shattering that fantasy right like even when he first meets his dad he realizes like oh it's not gonna be like how i thought it would be but now when he's actually living with his dad it's just like that every day like oh yeah like when you mentioned like his dad going missing when his mom was pregnant and how like life-changing that was i'm just like yeah they just had this life-altering event their lives will never be the same and it's still even now that everybody's back together like yeah kind of ruined in a way yeah there's no coming back from that and this is just an, a different life-changing event, is him coming back and right. being so sick. Right. I wonder with him being so sick, I always assume like, oh, that's weird that they can't figure it out. But maybe that's like a different, an illness from the Underland that is not in like the Overland. Yeah. I think at some point they get medicine from the Underland because they know what uh-huh. the illness is. Oh, nice. That makes sense. Gregor puts the cockroach in the kitchen trash bin and notes how empty the fridge and cabinets are. He remembers he'll be helping Mrs. Cormacy today, and we learn the story that his family decided to tell people about his and Boots's disappearance. The story is basically that Gregor's dad came back from where he was living in California and picked up the kids to go to Virginia. He thought Gregor had told his mom where they were, but Gregor thought his dad had told her. Mrs. Cormacy didn't believe this story when Gregor told it to her, but when she visited Gregor's dad later and saw how sick he was, she let it go and then offered to hire Gregor to help her around the apartment on Saturdays. Gregor initially didn't want to, but when he realized he could help his family by making some money, he accepted. I like that when he tells her the story, she initially says something like, come up with a better one for next time. But she also doesn't ask him to elaborate. <laughs> She's yes. just like, I know you're lying, kid, but go ahead. Yeah, I'll let you have this one. <laughs> Mrs. Cormacy's such a real one. Mm -hmm. So now every Saturday, Gregor goes to Mrs. Cormacy's to help her with chores. And while he's there, she feeds him amazing food. The first time he helped her, she sent him home with $40, an old coat, and a lasagna. Yes. She said, I can't take three lasagnas to the fundraiser. People take two. You walk in with three and everybody thinks you're a big show off. And what? I'm going to eat it with, with my, my cholesterol. cholesterol. <laughs> That's my favorite. God. My brother and I mm -hmm. quote that to each other all the time. <laughs> Like, we use it this, the way some people say, like, in this economy. Like, we say, with my cholesterol. <laughs> That's really funny. To everything. And we say it in the accent that the audiobook uses, uh -huh, which is, uh -huh. like, this heavy, like, New York grandma yeah. accent. I actually, I looked it up because I was really curious. And Google tells me Cormacy is an Italian name and less reliably says that it means educated. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. 
So I guess that explains like why she's making lasagna and like why, and I feel like it's kind of a stereotypical, like she's like, please eat something. Right, right. (laughs) She's like maybe the Italian grandma. Right. Yeah, she's the best. And I always just like loved the food description. Yes. When I was a kid, I would just like hear about Gregor getting to eat all of this lasagna and scallop potatoes and mm-hmm. just being like, why can't I eat good food like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it like reminds me of like the food descriptions in like Harry Potter or in Little Men, this book I really like. You just read it and like you either get hungry or feel like you're eating something while you're reading it. It's like, yes. yeah, this book is so filling. Yeah, truly. Or like food in a Studio Ghibli movie. Oh, yeah. Love that stuff. Back in the present, Lizzie walks into the kitchen and asks if there's enough food for today. Gregor starts making oatmeal for everyone and tells her that he's not hungry, even though his stomach is growling. He's such a good brother. Mm-hmm. He's just like, no, I don't need to eat. I'll be at Mrs. Cormacy's and... My sisters are hungry, so I'm going to make everyone oatmeal and I don't need to eat. He's such a like self-sacrificing hero. And I like how he does this while also like saying to himself, like, Lizzie shouldn't know how little food we have. She's younger. And it's like, bro, you're 11. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Throughout these chapters, there's like comments of like, well, Lizzie should get to go sledding because she's only seven. And it's like, you're 11, Gregor. Like, you're also a child. But he just doesn't think of himself that way at all. Yeah, it's kind of a recurring theme in the book, I would say. Is mm-hmm. Gregor not being able to have a childhood. Gregor promises to take Lizzie and Boots sledding later as long as their dad doesn't have a fever. Gregor goes over to Mrs. Cormacy's, and when she asks him what he wants for Christmas, he just shrugs. And I'm thinking this is probably just because he didn't expect to get anything. Like, he just isn't thinking about what he wants for Christmas because he knows he's not going to get it. Which sucks. Mrs. Cormacy sends him home with the money, a vat of scalloped potatoes, and a pair of her son's old work boots. The boots. I feel like the boots become very important later. Yeah, you're right. They do. Yeah, they're too big for Gregor. He has to put on extra socks and stuff newspaper in the toes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he, he wears the boots for... Like, all of this book and the next one. Oh, shit, yeah. Or half of the next one. I think they get eaten by acid at some point. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I was like, I know these boots get destroyed somehow. Yeah, yeah. But it is actually kind of a big part of the plot because, it, first of all, the boots save his toes from getting eaten by acid. Right, oh, yeah. And then he gets uh, weird uh, lizard shoes from Hamnet. And then when he goes back to the overland, he's still wearing the lizard shoes. And Mrs. Cormacy is like, here, I got you these other shoes. Do you remember this? Yes. Oh, wait. And they're like new shoes, but she pretends she got them by accident for some reason. I think that she buys them specifically for him. Oh, okay. But he has to, like, tell her the story about the Underland because he's wearing his weird lizard <laughs> shoes. So, yeah, it all starts with these work boots. Um, I think shoes are, if we can be English majors for a second, shoes are a really good indicator of, like, a character, especially in this book. Gregor says that he only has one pair of shoes and the sole is coming off. And when he's walking to school and there's, like, he steps in a puddle, his feet will just be wet all day at school. And that's such an indicator of like his family's poverty. And there are lots of details in these chapters 
that show the situation that his family is in. But I feel like the shoes are really like a big deal and kind of symbolic. You can tell a lot about a person by looking at their shoes, you know? Yeah, like it's a good class indicator because like clothes are something you can get more cheaply and if they don't fit you exactly, it's okay. But like shoes Mm -hmm. are much harder to get. Yeah, I just, the idea of Gregor having to like go through his entire day with like wet like socks Mm -hmm. because of his shoes falling apart and he just like doesn't get to have new ones. It sucks. But now he's got he's got good boots that he can wear for a while because they're too big for him right now. Gregor goes home and sees that his dad isn't feeling well. Lizzie offers to stay home and look after him, but asks Gregor to pick up some fever medicine before he takes boots to the park. On the way home, Gregor buys a book of puzzles and some oranges for Lizzie. She gets really excited when he gives her the book because she loves all kinds of puzzles. She also likes anagrams, and we learn that when Gregor told her about the Underland and the Rat King Gorger, she pointed out that Gregor and Gorger share the same letters. And this isn't relevant until literally the last book. I totally forgot about that. I was going to say, and this is never relevant again. No, (laughs) this is planting the seed very early. This is foreshadowing like very far in advance. And I didn't actually realize this until I was taking my notes for this episode, but the narration literally says that Lizzie was sucking on an orange slice and happily cracking a cryptogram. And the coat of claw is literally a cryptogram. Oh, shit. Oh, man. She's literally doing a cryptogram for fun. (laughs) And we learn about her figuring out the anagram of Gregor and Gorger and also cracking a cryptogram in, like, the same page in the second book. And none of that is relevant again until, like, halfway through the last book. It's so good. I'm just in awe. Mm Mm-hmm. Gregor and Boots ride the subway to Central Park to go sledding. Okay, when I was a kid, tell me if this was also your experience. When I was a kid, I had no idea how big Central Park was. Yeah, I think so. I went there once, and I still don't know how big it is. I just went a couple years ago on my big road trip, and Central Park is gigantic. Like, Mm -hmm. I did not realize. I was walking through central park with my friends and looking at everything and it just like goes on forever and i was like wow all of those scenes in gregor and percy jackson make sense now (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's so true because when i was a kid the only parks that we ever went to were like very tiny like there was one playground structure and that was it and like that was a park to me so i didn't understand when these authors wrote about Central Park, like, how big it was. And it's just got, like, all these different sections. Like, there's a carousel, or there used to be a carousel. There's, like, rock formations you can climb on. There's, like, a playground in it, but it's not the whole thing. Yeah, especially, like, when I was a kid, we used to go sledding at this, like, one park that had a very big hill, and we called it Big Hill Park. Classic. And when I read this part of the book where Boots and Gregor go sledding, I picture Big Hill Park because that's what I always pictured as a kid. But that park is so tiny and I have to like readjust my my image to be like, no, this place is huge and like it's really scary that Boots just disappeared and Oh yeah, true. 
Yeah. Because yeah. there was nowhere to disappear to in Big <laughs> Big Hill Park. So it's, like, wild. Like, you would not want to lose track of a toddler in Central oh, Park. no. Gregor watches Boots play and thinks about how Christmas is coming up, which makes him anxious because his family doesn't have any money for presents. This distracts him for a moment, and when he looks around for Boots, she's vanished. Not good. Not good. That takes us right into chapter two, with Gregor calling out to Boots and looking around for her frantically. He hears a dog barking nearby and goes to ask the owner if they've seen her. He finds the dog running in a circle around a stick, and when the owner comes to apologize, Gregor doesn't respond because he realizes that it's not a stick at all. It's a shiny black insect leg, like from a giant roach. Not good. I can't remember how the roach actually lost its legs, so it's like, first of all, ow, that's not good. Second of all, did the dog get in a fight with this cockroach? That is such a good question. I've never thought to question why the cockroach lost its leg. I guess I just assumed that it got stuck in the rock slab when they were replacing it. That makes sense. And that's just like not an issue for bugs because they'll grow back limbs, I think. Right. Yeah. Like I I never know if bugs feel pain or not. I don't know. In this, Uh I think so. Okay. Because what doesn't temp or tick lose half an antenna or lose an antenna? Temp has a bent antenna. Okay. And I think that... I might be making this up. At some point, someone is like, the roaches will grow back legs. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, I never thought about the dog, perhaps, (laughs) getting into a fight with the cockroach. I just assumed the cockroach leg was already there Mm -hmm. and the dog found it and was freaked out. I think, yeah, probably. I feel like if my dog saw a giant cockroach, she would just like stand there and raise her hackles and growl like when she saw a horse. Yeah, yeah. What would Lola do if she saw a giant roach? Either she would like freeze or run or maybe she'd just be like, like she'd want to eat it. Yeah, she does. She'll do that weird like clicking thing that she does. Lola, she's right there. Lola, what would you do if you saw a giant cockroach? No comment. No comment. (laughs) Gregor notices the slab of rock on the ground that covers the entrance to the tunnel they took to get home from the Underland that summer. He pulls Boots's red mitten out from under the edge of the rock and realizes that the cockroaches must have kidnapped her and taken her underground. Gregor takes out his cell phone and calls home. He says that his family can't really afford a cell phone, but his mom insisted they get one anyway for this exact kind of situation. Gregor quickly explains to his dad that he has to return to the Underland to get Boots back from the roaches. Dad tries to tell him to wait for him, but Gregor insists he has to go now or the roaches will get too far away. Dad asks if he has a light, and Gregor remembers a mini flashlight Mrs. Cormacy gave him that he clipped to his key ring. She just always knows what's up. Right? I feel like there's so many Mrs. Cormacy Chekhov's guns, or whatever you would call it, just like... It's, and it's great. It's great because she has. No, it's great because she has no idea what's actually happening, and she's just like, "Have some boots, have a light," and she has no idea how useful these things will be. Yeah, exactly. I think actually this might be um, a indicator of perhaps she actually can tell the future, and she actually does have the gift. Oh shit! Right. Because I think at some point Gregor also mentions that this flashlight is waterproof, and he 
when he first got it, he thought like, I, I won't need this in the water. But then he goes on a trip on the waterway and he's like, how did Mrs. Cormacy know that I would need this? I love that. Okay, I'm actually fully buying the theory that Mrs. Cormacy is slightly... Um, Clairvoyant? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Gregor and his dad tell each other, see you soon, and Gregor lowers himself into the hole. He tries to recall the route Ares took when he flew them home the last time he was here, and he starts running in that direction. Gregor thinks about how upset his mom will be that he's back in the Underland, and recalls what happened when they first got home that summer. They told her the story several times, but she didn't believe them until Boots started chattering about the big bugs. The narration says, At dawn, she decided to believe them. At one minute after dawn, she was down in the laundry room, nailing, screwing, gluing, doing everything she could to seal shut the grate they'd all fallen through. Love that. I love this description of like, at dawn, she decided to believe them. At one minute after dawn, (laughs) she decided to do something about it. Yeah. Like, Grace is a woman of action. Yeah. She knows what to do. Yeah. And, but just, it must be so rough now when they're like, yeah, so there was another entrance and the kids are gone again. I would just like. Oh my God, you're right. (sighs) Like, imagine Grace gets home from her shift at the cafe. Oh my God. And they're like, uh, guess who's disappeared again? Uh, I wouldn't even know how to tell her if I was Gregor's dad. I'd be like, oh God. Yeah. One thing that surprised me, which I guess makes sense, is that Gregor's dad isn't mad when he said he lost boots. Because I'd be like, bro, why weren't you watching her? But like, Gregor's dad gets it. Gregor's dad knows. But Gregor's mom, I feel like, would be like, are you serious right now, Gregor? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) For sure. Because she's always like, you guys have to stick together. Right. But like, Gregor's dad knows how obsessed the roaches are with boots. Right. It's actually kind of a recurring thing that... Gregor's mom never fully understands the scope and the stakes of the Underland, and Gregor's dad is much more like sympathetic when Gregor has to go back to the Underland or go on a quest, and Grace is just like, nope, you can't do that. You gotta stay home. You can't go on a quest. Right, like, Vike is, he's grounded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grace declared the laundry room off limits and the family started going to a laundromat three blocks away instead. Gregor jogs through the tunnels and thinks he might just be getting himself lost in a maze, but then he finds Boots's other red mitten. Almost if it was as if it was deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> you think Boots was dropping her mittens to let Gregor know where she was. I thought it was, wasn't there, aren't the rats like involved somehow? I thought, I thought they were dropping like, or the roaches are. The roaches took boots, the rats are after them. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought it was like leaving hints. Okay. never mind. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. She just really can't hold on to those mittens. She can't. Lucky that she didn't have those little clips that like attached to her sleeve. Yeah. Did you used to have those? I don't think I ever did, but I was really like, I was, whenever I had mittens, I was like, I love these so much. These are the best. So be very careful. Aww. Yeah. I think I had those little things that clipped to your sleeves. Nice. On the floor, Gregor spots a bunch of insects and mice running past him, clearly trying to get away from something. When he shines his flashlight behind him, he sees two giant rats galloping toward him. Not a good word to hear applied to rats. Yeah, just the word galloping is so evocative in this moment. Can you just imagine like a six foot rat 
kind of just like lunging forward at you. And, and it's dark. Yeah. You have one flashlight. You can only see it in the beam of your flashlight. Oh, God. That's terrifying. I'm just imagining it right now and it's freaking me out. <laughs> Chapter three begins with Gregor turning and running as fast as he can away from the rats. He wonders why they're so close to the surface, but decides he can think about that later. He collides with a stomach-high wall and drops his flashlight through a circular stone opening that he recognizes as the one Ares took them through to bring them home. Somewhere far below is the waterway, the huge underland ocean. Gregor lowers himself down into the opening and hangs from the edge by his fingers. At first he hopes the rats won't see him, but then he realizes the rats don't need to see him because they'll be able to smell him. Still has learned echo okay. Yeah, Come on, Gregor. Rookie move. <laughs> Amateur hour. The rats approach and start laughing at him for trying to hide. Just as Gregor is weighing his options of either fighting the rats in the dark or falling into the waterway, he hears a voice say, Drop, Overlander. Yeah! Here he comes! <laughs> The rats hear the voice too and rush to kill him, but Gregor lets go before they can get to him. The narration says, He could hear the scrape of claws on the stone ledge he had been clinging to moments before, along with a volley of strange rat curses. What swears do you think the rats are using? <laughs> like, oh my tail. Or like, what, what do we say? What's like, like, I'm trying to think, like, you call somebody a bitch, like, what's the, but rats don't have dogs. Um, I mean... I have no idea. What, what's a bad thing you could do as a rat? Ooh. Long, having teeth that are long and you haven't broken them down yet. Oh. Like, oh, you long tooth pieces. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, a I feel like this could devolve into, like, a wizard swears thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you watch that video as a kid? I might have. I don't remember. Oh, my God. Me and my brother would watch that video, like, over and over again. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> Gregor falls for a bit and lands on Ares' back. Ares apologizes for letting him fall so far because he knows Gregor doesn't like it, but he was getting his flashlight back for him. That's hilarious. He's like, hang on, bro, just a minute. <laughs> yeah, it'll just be a second. I'm getting your flashlight. He calls it his, his light stick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As they fly, Gregor rants to Ares about how the cockroaches kidnapped Boots. Ares tries to break in and explain what the roaches were doing, but Gregor keeps interrupting him. Come on, Gregor. Yeah, don't you have manners? Just because your sister's been kidnapped by cockroaches is not an excuse to be <laughs> Gregor's usually very uh, polite, except when he is in a crisis like this. Right. I mean, usually, except when he's worried about Boots. Like, she's mm -hmm. the, she, it's like he goes into protect Boots mode. Yeah, yeah. She's, like, his his weak spot. Yes. That's kind of, like, a theme in this book, is that Boots is, like, because part of the prophecy that we're gonna hear in the next chapters after this is die the baby, die his heart. And they all think that it's about Boots at first. Like, they're afraid that the rats are going to try to get to kill Boots to get to Gregor. And that makes, like, total sense. Because Gregor is constantly freaking out about Boots. Right. This book series would be so much more 
different if it wasn't for Boots. Like, imagine that Gregor was just alone. Yeah, he would be, like, I feel like he would have somehow much less to live for. Because a lot of what he does is, like, gotta take care of Boots. Gotta protect Boots. Yeah, gotta get Boots and myself back home. Like, I feel like he would he would have given up sooner if he didn't have Boots, which is sad. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he would have more like, main character syndrome. Oh my god, yeah. If he didn't have boots. Yeah. To keep him grounded. Eventually, Gregor demands that Ares take him to the roaches, and Ares flips him over onto a stone ridge and pins him to the ground. Ares says, I do not take orders from you, Overlander. Let us be clear on this from the start. When Gregor asks what Ares' problem is, he tells him, My problem is that at this moment, you are reminding me a great deal of Henry. Ouch. Yeah. At this moment, you're reminding me of the guy who I let fall off a cliff. He he literally was like, I let him fall off a cliff to save you. And now you're being a dick just like him. Yeah. Yeah. Gregor gets his first good look at Ares' face and realizes how angry he is. The narration reminds us how Ares saved Gregor's life and Gregor saved Ares from banishment. It says, They were bonded together and had sworn to fight to the death for each other, but they had never exchanged more than a handful of words. As Ares glared down at him, Gregor realized he knew next to nothing about the bat. We kind of talked about this at the end of book one as well, that... Gregor and Ares owe each other their lives, but they really aren't friends yet. And it's so fun. Like, I remember when this happened the first time I read it, I was like, what? They already hate each other? But it's like, it's such a good twist. Like, it could have been just like, eh, they're kind of chill. They don't really know each other. But it's like, no, you are bonded forever and you hate each other. Yeah. That's great. It's such a good dynamic. Like, I'm thinking even just in... Percy Jackson like he rides around on Blackjack and Blackjack just loves Percy because he's a horse and Percy's the horse guy (laughs) but like Ares and Gregor are equals and they have this like complex social dynamic going on here right because it's like Gregor's not from this world where humans and bats are equals so he doesn't know all the all the like what do you call it custom yeah like ramifications of stuff and implications of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. And and Ares is like this outcast who has been saved by Gregor, which could almost feel like, oh, I now I owe you something. Mm-hmm. Like, but Ares is not gonna put up with his shit. Right. Also. Right. Ares has probably been through some shit the past couple months. Yeah, that's so true. He's also because Gregor kind of like obviously Gregor had to leave and Ares agreed with him leaving, but he kind of abandoned him. Yeah. Like in this society where every bat is supposed to have a human. Mm-hmm. Ares is just like single. Yeah. He's 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 an incel in the bat world. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> No, I won't accept that. <laughs> that's the that's the quote for this episode's like No <laughs> The quote card. Yeah. We'll see. Oh. At Gregor's prompting, Ares goes on about Henry, saying, You remember I let him smash to his death on the rock so that I could give you more time. And right now, I am wondering if I should not have let you both fall, because, like Henry, you are under the impression that I am your servant. I mean, like, get him, Aries. But also, (laughs) that's so brutal. Yeah. At least he didn't say, I'm starting to wish I had grabbed 
uh, Henry instead, because that would suck. Yeah, I don't think that he would say that, because, like, obviously Henry was um, a jerk. Right. Evil. But, yeah, just the idea that, like, Ares could have not saved either of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's wild. Um, yeah, because, like, obviously I don't think Ares really means this. Mm-hmm. Like, he mm-hmm. doesn't actually wish that Gregor was dead right now, but, like, he's trying to make a point of, like, we owe each other. Like, right. it's not just that I owe you for saving me from banishment. Like, we have also, we've saved each other's lives. Right. We're equals. And we get this little hint about how Henry didn't treat Ares like an equal, which we get a little more detail on later in the book. But this is just kind of, like, a taste of that backstory. It's really interesting how Henry just continues to haunt the narrative for the rest of the books. Yeah. Even though he dies in the first one and he never comes back. But, like, he gets mentioned in every book, I feel like. Because he was such an important person in all the characters' lives except for Gregor. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's got to be so wild mourning somebody who, like, as they died, they were betraying you. Yeah. Like, it's not even like, oh, he was so great. It's like, he was kind of a dick, but... And he, he would have let me die, but but you still love him. Like, mm-hmm. that's hard. Yeah. I think that Ares probably owed Henry a lot, too. We'll get to this later when this comes up again with Ares. But there's kind of like a hint that Ares maybe was like in trouble and Henry saved him, saved him from being an outcast by choosing him to bond with. So I think that Henry probably felt that Ares owed him for that as well. So that's like a really complicated thing to just like have carrying around after that person dies. Gregor insists he just wants to get his sister back and Ares assures him that he's trying to help. Gregor admits he was rude to interrupt Ares before and apologizes, but then he demands that Ares get off his chest and Ares makes him say please before he lets him go. Gregor sits up and complains that Ares's claws put holes in his jacket, and Ares reminds him that the Regalians will burn his clothes anyway. The narration says, It was at that moment that Gregor decided he was bonded to a big jerk, and he felt pretty sure that Ares had come to the same conclusion. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That Gregor is not only realizing that he is bonded to a jerk, like he's He's realizing that Ares is a jerk, but he's also realizing that Ares thinks that he's a jerk. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's got enough emotional intelligence to understand that, like, Ares also thinks that he is being unfair. That's so true. <laughs> it's so funny. They're just both flying back in the dark, like, fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> also, just, I want to talk about, like, the jacket, because. In the audiobook, when Gregor says, like, look at what you did to my jacket, it's kind of snotty, and he says it kind of like, oh man, like, why'd you have to do that? But literally, like, that's probably his only jacket, and he's probably not going to be able to get another one very easily. Right, that's what I was thinking. Like, that legitimately sucks. Yeah, it sucks if it gets destroyed, and Ares just has no idea, like, what that means. Do bats even have, like, money in the Underland? Who's to say? It's just like, why do you not just grow a coat of fur, idiot? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it's just like, 
Gregor is constantly thinking about clothes and food and money. This kind of comes back to the shoes discussion. Like, Gregor is very aware of what he owns and like how he has to take care of the things that he has because he doesn't get new ones very often and just the idea that Ares is telling him like well it doesn't matter anyway they're gonna get burned and Gregor's like oh that's bad like (laughs) that's no good yeah he's really the only person in the underland who has to like think about that a lot like Vicus and and oh my god why have I forgotten her name Luxa Luxa are like they like they care about resources, but they're also like pretty rich themselves. Right. Like, yeah, they're like royal royalty. And the bats and the rats and the animals don't seem to have as much like they don't really need clothes. Yeah. And like many possessions like humans do. Yeah, there's talk of like trading between the species, but we never get details on that. Like to what extent capitalism exists <laughs> in this society. Yeah, no, I don't think they ever talk about money. Just resources very vaguely. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think they... Do they have currency? I don't think they ever mention it. Okay. So I'm not sure. Yeah, the only the only human money they mention is in the museum, in, like, all the pockets of the coats. Right, right. Yeah, Marith is, like, gives him Gregor money at the end of the last book. I mean, book one. Right. And um, he's like, Ficus said you might need this to travel. And I'm wondering if they just don't have money. I don't know. It kind of seems like they don't, because they're kind of like, they're, the society's like united around war. Like they have all these warriors and they're like training for this stuff. Like it seems like the kind of world where you would just get like rations sort of. Yeah. Because it's such a small, it's not, I feel like it's, it's like smaller than like New York probably. Yeah. I think Vika says there's like 800 people in Regalia. Yeah. I feel like that's enough where like the government just feeds everybody in return for you helping defend against the rats. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if you join the military, you get more. Or right. Something. Classic. Yeah. I'm sure that people have written fan fictions where they sort all this out. Oh my god. Yeah. Tell us in the comments, do you think that the Regalians use money? And how do you think that all works? So Gregor asks Ares why they have to go to Regalia, and Ares reveals that the crawlers are taking boots there because the rats have sworn to kill her. And that is the end of chapter three. Dang. First of all, I guess that the crawlers, their hearts are in the right place, but like literally the easiest place for boots to not get killed by rats is in the overland, where if somebody sees a giant rat, they'll be like, hey, (laughs) what the fuck? Gregor makes that argument, though, and they're like, well, what about the small rats? Oh, that's true. I forgot. Yeah, they are in the they are in the control of uh, the big rats. Mm-hmm. Just like how the small roaches obviously talk to the big roaches and they're like, yo, Gregor's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Go hang out in his house. Yeah, yeah. Go keep an eye on him. Yeah, that's rough because like the crawlers, their hearts are in the right place, but everybody's like, no, what are you doing? And yeah. Like. And yeah, obviously they're trying, but they did, like, they kidnapped her without telling Gregor where she was. Yeah, and that is so scary. Yeah. I think at one point Gregor, I just keep saying, like, in this book this happens, (laughs) I have memorized these fucking books, but, like, Gregor tells Temp, like, well, you just scared me, you shouldn't have taken her like that, and Temp, like, doesn't understand. (laughs) Like, he's like, are you angry at me? (laughs) But yeah... Those are the first three chapters. Yeah. It's quite the introduction to the second book. Yeah, we get, like, Mrs. Cormacy, we get, like, the situation with Boots and Gregor's family, and then we get the situation with Gregor and Ares, and mm. kind of a hint into the 
the climate of the general under underland right now. Yeah. It's just like right off the bat, getting chased by rats through the tunnels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right off the bat. Ah! <laughs> I didn't do that on <clears throat> But yeah, no, it does a really great job of setting up like it's almost Christmas and Gregor is thinking about like they're thinking about money and Gregor's dad is sick and it's kind of setting up all of these things that Gregor has to deal with in the overland that he's going to he's going to take that stress with him into the underland but like now he's got bigger problems right he's kind of like thinking about all his problems and then the cockroaches are like oh you thought those were your problems yeah (laughs) we'll show you problems (laughs) yeah and he's gonna have to come back to all that at the end of the book right it's like the opposite of escape well I guess He's escaping, but he's escaping into a worse thing. And then he's going back to a thing that's like slightly not as bad. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Every time I think about this, I just think about how much the opposite of Harry Potter is. Like, I guess, like Harry Potter, things are, I mean, things are also bad for him. But like during the year, he lives with his terrible abusive aunt and uncle. And then he goes to a place where like he eats a lot of food. And all he has to really worry about is like Voldemort is trying to kill him. But that's not happening all the time. Yeah. And then Gregor goes from like his house where it's like things are pretty rough and then he goes into this underwear where like everybody's like yo they're trying to kill us they're trying to kill you you have to kill them first and he's like (laughs) (laughs) they're trying to kill your baby sister (laughs) yeah i know and he doesn't have money and it's not like there's no like kind of magical sense of wonder that's like kind of shields him from some of the worst things yeah he's only the chosen one in the worst possible sense yeah you're right there's really no upside to being the chosen one in in this book I guess you do get, well, you don't get, but he does have a bat friend. That that eventually is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then, and then he dies. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a sword. Maybe the sword is cool. The sword is a perk. Yeah. Um, pretty sure Harry Potter also gets a sword, though. Oh, yeah. But it's, does he get to keep that one? I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't know. Oh, wait, now I'm getting that mixed up with the basilisk thing. I forget what the sword does. Um, Neville kills the snake with the sword. Oh, yeah. Wait, but a different snake than the, the, um... Yeah, it's, it's like Voldemort's, like, pet snake. Oh, yeah. Nagini. Nagini? Nagini, I think. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> what? Yeah. We, we hate Harry Potter. <laughs> it's not as good as Gregor. Co-signed. We talk a lot about Harry Potter on this podcast, but we don't give a shit about Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> Percy Jackson and Gregor forever. Yes. High five, handshake. We're handshaking right now. It's just important to me that people know that we don't like Harry Potter. Right, right. We are not supporters. Anyway, yeah, so we've got that whole uh, setup to this book. And we, yeah, it really like gets into it right away. Bat, the rats are chasing him. We've got drama with Aries, we've got drama with Boots. We've got delicious lasagnas from Mrs. Cormais. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I just really like how she had to like, she had to think of another way for them to get into the underworld, because if into the underland, because like at the beginning of the book, it's like an accident. I feel like it must have been so hard to be like, how can I not make this seem like a stupid coincidence again? Mm-hmm. And she went different entrance. And this time they're like the reason they're taking boots is the reason for the plot of the book. Yeah, like it really works. You're right. I hadn't considered the fact that she did have to figure out a way to get them back down there without it being like, oh, we're falling by accident again. (laughs) So we all tripped in the laundry room. Yeah. 
like Gregor is making the conscious decision to go after Boots in this moment. Right, that's so true. Like, and really, I think every time after this, he has to make the conscious decision. Yeah, because it only in the fir- in only in the first book can it like be satisfying if he's just down there by accident. Every other time, yeah. It has to be, like, his choice. Yes. He has to have agency. Yeah. I'm really interested, in actually, in looking at the different ways that Gregor is kind of, like, brought back to the Underland in each book. I'm trying to remember. I know when he goes down for fun, and then they're like, no, dude, you also have to go on a quest. Um, In the third book, they get, like, uh, threatened into going to oh, solve right. the plague. Go right. on the quest for the plague. And then... By book four, they're, like, regularly spending time in the Underland, and they're down there for Hazard's birthday. Oh, yeah. And then um, Luxa and Gregor are just like, oh, no, the mice are in trouble. Let's go have a picnic. <laughs> oh, right. And then it turns <laughs> no, They're like, let's go do a quest. Wait, did we say quest? We meant picnic. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he starts the oh, right. last book in the Underland already right like they're not even like no prologue in the overland now like yeah getting right down to it all of these books have a little like intro part except for the last book like we get a little bit of normalcy we get the mundane world this is very like hero's journey like we get to <laughs> hang out at the beginning in the mundane world and establish like a baseline of like this is what Gregor's reality is like and we hang out with his family for a bit and then he gets dunked into the quest Dunked into the quest. Yeah, but then he, by the time that he gets to the fifth book, he's already so deep in it. It's like, we don't even get that taste of normalcy at the beginning. Yeah, I really like that. Like, just ramping it up. Yeah. Up the tension. Yeah, that's a good escalation of, like, getting him to come back to the Underland. I think as I think Mrs. Cormacy is my favorite part of these three chapters. She's just great. Yeah, she she really is. Mrs. Corvacy and Rip Red. That's that's where it's at. Yeah, it's a shame they never got to meet. Oh my god. Can you imagine? Oh my god. She'd be like, you better be treating those kids well. And he's like, of course I am. I put butter on them before I eat their flesh. <laughs> <laughs> and then they both like ha- have a laugh. <laughs> I think Mrs. Cormacy like gives Gregor leftovers to take to Rip Red at oh, some point. Uh, yes. Do you remember yes, that? Yes, I think she does. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> She's like, but you have to, I don't want that rat licking my bowl. So she like puts it in a paper bag or something. (laughs) Why do I know these books so well? (laughs) Rip Red, no, no, no. Gregor just like goes over to Mrs. Cormacy's house one day and Rip Red is like already there and they're like having coffee. (laughs) He's like sitting on a plastic bag over the chair. They're playing Scrabble. Oh my God. (laughs) Gregor, nice of you to join (laughs) us. Oh, they're like shit talking him on his back. And like, Rip Red's like, don't you hate it when he does this? And Scarmacy's like, yeah, yeah, I always thought that was weird. I bet romance blooms. <laughs> you can write this fanfiction, yes. Nathan. I believe in you. Thank you. It's, it's been so long since Mr. Cormacy died. And, you know, Rip Red lost his whole family. They're like two, they're two broken people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who can find, like, sympathy and understanding in each other. Yes. Oh my god, two broken people. They're they're so alike. They're parallel. They both they both like food. They both care about Gregor, but they don't always show it in the most like in the most direct way because yes. they know he won't accept it. Oh my god, you're right. I think there's um an argument to be made here for Cormacy X Rip Red. I think you're so right. Like we know they're both <laughs> 
We know they're both sensual lovers. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Do you know about the game Slash? No. It's like a card game where all of the cards are characters from like fictional media and you have to like the person who's it plays a character and then you have to play each person has to play a character that they think they would like match with and you make the argument of like why these two characters should be together but it's from like across all media so it's like velma from scooby-doo x the shark from jaws <laughs> totally that would 100 percent work yeah that sounds like such a fun game we should play that yeah we should definitely get that we could make our own cards yeah like we could put like psych in there yes oh my god don't even get me started we'll, we'll have to make this game oh yeah that can be a bonus episode oh. us us playing our own version of slash oh my god just with like people from people from the oh my god underground chronicles mocking What's it called? Hunger Games? Yes. Like, how many books has Suzanne Collins written? Can we get the Brother Bear people in there? Is that <laughs> yes. Oh. Yeah. I'm down. Yes. Throw, throw Percy Jackson in there, oh too. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we should totally do this. We'll make it happen. We'll make, yes. I'm going to make... I got all this printer paper. We can make so many little cards. Yes. <laughs> well, until the until then, thank you so much for joining me, Nate. Yeah, it's been good to be here. Yeah, next week's episode is going to cover chapters four, five, and six. Don't forget to follow us on Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at Return to Regalia. Send us your questions and theories at returntoregalia at gmail.com. And let me know if there's any Mrs. Cormacy slash Rip Red fanfiction already out there. Please. (laughs) (laughs) Please. (laughs) Thank you for listening, and until next time, fly you high. Fly you high.